someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Hello, you've tuned in to Cybersecurity Today. I am your host, John Bambanek. We've got a great show lined up for you that will cover a wide variety of topics, what you need to know about cybersecurity. I've been in the industry 17 years, so we're going to tease out what's true, what's false, and what you actually need to know. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Trump and some of the purported ties with Russia and some of the influences. Uh, Certainly, the election-related hacking is on a lot of people's minds. We're going to cover those stories in depth, talk about what the government is doing about cybersecurity, how they're going to protect us from threats, uh, and what some of these uh, decisions have been made here in the first few days of the Trump administration. We're going to talk a little bit about the future of cybersecurity. Uh, I've got a feature on cybersecurity education. Uh, I actually, among other things, uh, teach at the University of Illinois, teaching cybersecurity uh, as a, a side job, moonlighting in essence, because there's over a million unfilled cybersecurity jobs by the end of this year. So huge talent gap. Uh, and we'll talk about how we as an industry are addressing that problem and some opportunities perhaps for you or your children for career changes or to get into security. We got a great interview lined up with Jeffrey Carr of Taya Global, uh, runs a conference, Suits and Spooks, who's going to be talking about cyber war, what we can expect with nations hacking nations here in the coming months uh, and years of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, talk a little bit more about corporate breaches, but get to the more important part of how you can protect your privacy. We've got a great interview with uh, Justin Harvey, who is the Global Incident Response Director for Accenture, and he's going to talk to us about how you can protect your privacy, and we'll take a few questions from social media of how you can protect yourself or your family online. So let's lean right into it. First up is we have a lot of coverage and a lot of conversation still about Russia's influence over our elections and more broadly of what, if any, Russian influence uh, there is over the Trump administration and Trump officials. There was a a dossier uh, released that showed some of these purported connections between Russian officials uh, and members of the Trump administration, had some very salacious details that alleged President Trump engaged in some impropriety in a Russian hotel room. I found that report to be highly unlikely and not credible. One of the things that I do research on a lot is deception and how to detect it both in cybersecurity and, you know, in documents and writing generally. So when somebody gives you this big 20-page document, you don't know who it's from, how do you validate whether it's true and false? This document had a lot of misspellings, a lot of bad assumptions. Even our intelligence community uh, didn't lend much credibility to the document, but it's the little things that uh, key you off that something really isn't right there. Somebody could be wildly wrong or they could be actively trying to deceive you. Either way, it's something really not worth paying attention to. Uh, But often in news, and especially in politics, people get excited when things come out that align with their interests. And there's been a lot of pranks uh, on the media of people creating fake press releases and the like just to get the media to run with stories because it aligned with somebody's preconceived notions. So the important thing, right, pay attention to those little details uh, and always look at things uh, in a skeptical eye, not just things that you agree with, but things that you disagree with. Very important just in life, but in cybersecurity as well. 
The U.S. Senate also opened a broad-range investigation to Russian influence over our elections and what, if any, connections they had with the Trump administration. Uh, recently, the FBI said they did intercept some phone calls with the national security advisor, well, before he was a national security advisor, before the inauguration, uh, with Russian officials. None of those calls had any impropriety. It was kind of staging and preliminary conversations to prepare for President Trump being inaugurated and launching his own foreign policy. Uh, so more or less routine conversations, but a lot of people are still making a lot of hay over. My interpretation of all of this is that there's a lot of people still upset that Trump won the election. All of us are relatively surprised by uh, by that outcome. Uh, and there are people pointing to, hey, Russian involvement in the election and they hacked the DNC. So Trump is not a legitimate president. Um, it's sore loser talk, really. Uh, but a lot of that colors how these stories are being covered, right? The Senate wants to look into Russian ties uh, with the Trump administration. Okay, it was already looked at a little bit. I participated in some of that investigations, but fine. You know, look at it again. You're going to find uh, the same result. There's a lot of people who are still using Russia as a canard of what's almost McCarthyite red baiting. Uh, I've been to Russia twice myself. It's a it's an interesting place to go. I've helped work with people over there to uh, put criminals away. There is certainly some common interests that, that we have of stopping crime generally, fighting terrorism, uh, and energy policy where we could work together. Uh, but bear in mind, right, Russia is its own country, and they will have their own interests and act in their own interests, as will we. And now, focus on government cybersecurity. There's a new virus in the database. What's happening? It's replicating, eating up memory. Uh, what do I do? Type cookie, you idiot. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Now we're going to move into what the government is going to be doing and how they're going to address these cybersecurity issues, not just some of the election controversy from last year, but many of the cybersecurity issues that you and your families face and the government faces going forward. One of the first decisions the Trump administration made was to appoint Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, as cybersecurity advisor. He runs a self-described cybersecurity firm, Giuliani Security, uh, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Giuliani Partners. The interesting thing is that all of the people that work with me, I've been in the field 17 years. I have friends all over the world who have been in the industry as long, if not longer, have never had any real interactions with Rudy Giuliani. One of the best descriptions of his expertise was to say Rudy Giuliani as a cybersecurity advisor is somewhat comparing a firefighter to the person who writes the building codes. The lawyer in City Hall who writes the building codes, yeah, you know, they put things of you've got to have fire-resistant ceilings and fire hydrants and sprinklers and all of that, but that doesn't make him a firefighter. He, certainly, there is some overlap of interest. What it seemed that Giuliani's experience was is advising leadership of companies and boards. Hey, you need to get insurance to deal with this and very, very high-level, hands-off kind of advice. The cybersecurity advisor should be somebody who has an idea of technically how to address some of these problems, how to start putting criminals in jail, how to deal with all of the vulnerable Internet of Things that people are buying every day and putting into their homes, DVRs, baby monitors, you name it, 
uh, what to do about denial of service attacks. It really shouldn't be an on-the-job learning type of position. It'd be somebody who can go in and say, you know what, we need to do these five things that would really make a difference to protect government secrets, to protect government infrastructure, and more importantly, right, one of my big interests is protecting just common people from cybersecurity threats. Uh, and it doesn't appear that uh, Rudy Giuliani has any real experience in that field. So I don't think it really sets a good initial first tone of what this means for cybersecurity going forward. A lot of people have made a lot of hay that Rudy Giuliani's website was very insecure. It seemed to be you know, a lot of security vulnerabilities associated with that website. I think that just goes to say is this is somebody who, you know, will talk management speak about a cybersecurity problem, but it's not somebody you want running into the burning building to fix the problem. And I think that's really what we need. We need somebody to go into federal government because our federal systems are insecure, um, you know, independent of individuals getting their credit cards stolen or their identities stolen or denial of service attacks happening. Uh, it was just a year and a half ago that the Office of Management and Budget had their entire security clearance database stolen by Chinese hackers, which is the very detailed background and finances of almost every federal employee that's ever held security clearance, and in many cases, even fingerprints. So a lot of very important people had their information taken by the Chinese because there was no effective security there. And it's been a problem in the federal government for a good long time. They just don't do technology well, and they don't do security well. And I would have hoped that this appointment would have been somebody who can go in, take this by the horns, and say, this is how we need to fix the problem. I hope that they hire smart people around Mayor Giuliani uh, to make sure the job gets done, but I don't think it was a great first step. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break here. After that, we're going to talk more about cybersecurity education, the future of cybersecurity. Uh, some studies have shown that there's going to be a million unfilled cybersecurity jobs here in the coming year. Might be an emerging field that you want to get into, your family, your children want to get into. So we're going to talk about education and segueing back into our coming cyber war conflict that we're going to have with Russia, China, and some of the things that we can expect in terms of foreign policies that comes to cybersecurity. Uh, uh, with the new Trump administration. Stay tuned. This is Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. The future of cybersecurity. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today. I am your host, John Bambanek. We'll start off by talking about the future of cybersecurity, and specifically what I wanted to start with uh, with this show is talking about cybersecurity education. In addition to being uh, a professional in industry working full-time, uh, I also teach at the University of Illinois, teaching several uh, cybersecurity classes, both hands-on uh, and classroom-oriented stuff. One of the biggest data points I keep going back to and pointing to people is that there'll be over a million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. As somebody who hires people myself and manages staff, it is very hard to find enough good people and they're very high paying jobs. So from the mercenary career perspective, it's certainly a very lucrative career to be involved in. High salary, great benefits, travel if you're into it, 
Last year I was in 13 countries just in 2016. So uh, I very much enjoy what I do. There's just not enough people doing it that are trained, capable, uh, and able to respond to the threats. Uh, we certainly do a lot of things. We try to automate, create tools so that we don't have to have people. But I really need people uh, in these jobs to respond to, to the threats. Almost every day, uh, I have somebody who talks to me and says, hey, uh, this bad thing happens to me. Where can I go for help? Um, there's no one really I can refer them to that doesn't charge a whole lot of money. You can go to Best Buy uh, for Geek Squad, but they'll provide a very rudimentary amount of service. The federal government also uh, is in big need uh, of cybersecurity professionals. Law enforcement is in a big need of cybersecurity professionals. Think of your local police department. There are many crimes that may be involving computers. Probably in every town in America, there's somebody being victimized of a computer crime right now, and there is a lack of uh, people out there to help law enforcement to put some of these people in prison. And that's why you see this huge growth of crime online, why it seems that there's really no consequence is that it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to investigate crime generally and more so with computer crime. So the reality is, is there isn't a lot of people creating the kind of pushback that needs to be had. One important aspect that really needs to be done, uh, and I know there's a lot of projects around doing it, and I want to be involved uh, with, with some of my own, of getting at least some cybersecurity education in our high schools. If not for, hey, come into this industry, uh, something to say, these are the things you can do to protect yourself as high school students, talking about you know how to be safe on social media and Instagram, what to share, what not to share, so that they can not end up victims of cybercrime themselves so we can protect our children they grew up and protect uh, their employers and their families so it's certainly something that that a lot of effort is being put into some dollars and tax dollars are being put into uh, teaching uh, our nation's uh, high schoolers how to keep safe uh, from the various threats that they face so a lot of future and a lot of time is going to be spent in uh, like I said, cybersecurity education, uh, we call it cybersecurity awareness in terms of, uh, of the general amount of information. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so I'm sure you'll see uh, some information and educational materials produced around that, around cybersecurity, around that time. But the important thing to fall back to is at the end of the day, in the absence of a whole lot of professionals that we don't have, it's up to you, it's up to your families to protect yourselves from being a victim. And that starts with learning about what attackers are doing and learning about the tools and techniques and things you can do to protect yourself online. Dispatches from the Cyber War. There's a war out there, old friend. A world war. And it's not about who's got the most bullets. It's about who controls the information. You're listening to Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek. We're going to go back, talk a little bit about the federal government, what they're doing to protect us, and some of the uh, cybersecurity uh, relationships uh, internationally uh, that we're going to have to address, the new, new administration's going to have to address with Russia, China, and others. So we have a great guest joining us today. Jeffrey Carr from the 20K League uh, runs a great conference, Suits and Spooks, on uh, cybersecurity and intelligence. Uh, thank you for joining us, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, John. 
So what do you think are the big uh, international cybersecurity issues the new administration is going to face? Do you think we're going to still have conflict with Russia? Uh, is conflict with China going to come back? Are there other players going to enter the space to go after our critical infrastructure? Right. So I, I think actually we it's a very complex threat landscape that the administration is not really well equipped uh, to address yet, partly because of our uh, uh, narrow-minded focus on only Russia or only China or only North Korea. You know, we seem to single out these uh, bad actors in cyberspace one at a time. But the reality is that we have uh, many nations that are engaging in um, attacks in cyberspace. And plus, probably hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, non-state actors, you know, that are doing the same. And these include... Uh, they include uh, terrorist groups. They include uh, uh, Mexican, uh, not Mexican, South American uh, cartels. They include um, uh, uh, organized crime. Uh, and, of course, they include uh, governments, various governments, uh, intelligence agencies. Uh, so, you know, to, to, we, we can't really navigate, we can't really identify that, that sea of, uh, of bad actors. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, this administration, I think, um, I hope, uh, has ordered a thorough review of our, uh, vulnerabilities and who the threat actors are. And, and I'm hoping that this, that what they receive back will help paint a more accurate, uh, picture of how murky, um, that landscape really is. I certainly agree with that. And like I said, we were just talking about why it's, uh, important to have, uh, very well-trained professionals out there, uh, and at least as far as we know publicly, uh, there's a lot of people who could talk about it at a high level, but you really need the people who, who know it and are in the trenches, uh, hopefully giving some good advice. Uh, one of the things that I've commented on and that I think is, is relevant going forward, right, going back to the, the election-related hacking, is what people don't seem to realize is that for the most part, you know, a lot of this is possible with not terribly sophisticated means. You know, John Podesta's email was hacked with a Gmail password reset fish. And there are plenty of actors who do things like that. And our government has said how effective all this was, how damaging it was to our democracy. So we've advertised a very low cost uh, method that even random people can start trying to influence elections, and it looks like WikiLeaks is starting to wade into the French election waters. Uh, so certainly I think you make a good point that uh, there's a lot of actors out there that may or may not be uh, actually operating at the direction of a government. They just may be patriotic individuals uh, from Russia or China. Uh, so on that subject, right, the new administration is wanting to be more friendly with Russia. It is more antagonistic towards China. Uh, President Trump has stated in the past that he wants to label China as a currency manipulator. Uh, and there are certainly disputes about territorial waters in uh, the South China Sea. Uh, what do you think that means in terms of the threat landscape? Are we going to see a return to a lot of the Chinese-related uh, hacking that we saw in the early days of the Obama administration? Uh, I think that's certainly possible if uh, relations do get worse with China. You, you know, China has a very active population of uh, patriotic hackers going way back to the 90s. Um, when they had uh, trouble with the Philippines, all of a sudden, you know, there were thousands of attacks being launched against Philippine government websites. And, mm -hmm. and uh, when, 
when the uh, 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 I'm trying to remember the exact incident, but there was a, an incident involving a Chinese military and a U.S. military aircraft uh, mm -hmm. that resulted in the death of a Chinese pilot. Right. Um, and that resulted in a lot of attacks coming from Chinese hackers. And so, uh, yeah, if tensions increase, then I, I would say it's almost a sure thing we'll see an in, in, influx of, uh, of attacks, whether they were directed by the government or not, is probably not even important um, based on the way that we currently do uh, attribution. But mm -hmm. um, but uh, this is now, you know, a brave new world. Uh, uh, cyberspace has bridged the gap between air, land, and sea, and uh, just because you are vast halfway across the world doesn't mean that you are safe from attacks against your critical infrastructure or uh, or your financial networks mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. no no I think that's definitely true I've spent most of my career going after uh, criminal actors usually Eastern European and related and they can operate with near impunity because uh, they're not really breaking laws of their home country or not really otherwise of interest of their home law enforcement and the United States can't get them extradited because there's right. clear prohibitions to do it. So certainly some big obstacles. Tell our listeners where they can find you online. Best way to find me is at my consultancy website, the20kleague.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Carr. All right. That's Jeffrey Carr, 20K League, also runs Suits and Spooks. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to segue into talking about how you can protect your small business, your own personal privacy, uh, and get into the more personal aspects of cybersecurity. So stay tuned for more. You're listening to Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bamba. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambanek will be right back. You're back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today Radio. This is your host, John Bambanek. Last segment, we had a great conversation with Jeffrey Carr, 20K League, talking about cyber war, some of the conflicts the United States is having with other countries, uh, and some of the stuff that the administration can be doing to protect the country, protecting you and your family. We're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to talk about now what you can do to protect your small business, your home business, and your family. So some of the tools, techniques, and things that I advise people so that you can protect yourselves from the ever-going cybersecurity threats like ransomware and some of the things targeting children. There are a lot of tools and technologies out there for major enterprises, right? Everybody's chasing $100, $200, 1000000 million deals. But if you're a five-man uh, shop running, you know, relatively non-high-tech industry, right, there's not a lot out there uh, for you online. You certainly won't have the money to hire a lot of staff uh, that will come in and do things. Uh, if you happen to live in a relatively urban area, certainly try to find uh, some uh, – some uh, consultant or small business out there who can work with you on a part-time basis to help put things in place. But make sure you don't have things you don't need exposed to the Internet. Uh, get a good firewall from uh, Barracuda or Linksys, things that you can find at Staples. 
that will provide you some protection to make sure that you don't have any of your systems just exposed to the internet at large. You've got to be savvy enough uh, to protect yourself. And the biggest thing for that is not exposing yourself uh, to vulnerabilities, making sure things are having a little bit of distance from the internet with a good firewall that keeps you behind something so that people can't reach out and touch you. The last thing that I really want to mention and emphasize there's always a temptation of gathering data, collecting data, uh, putting things in places. If you don't have the means to protect it, don't store it, don't keep it. So for instance, almost all small businesses will process credit cards. Go to your bank, go to a third-party service that's going to handle that for you so that you don't have to keep credit card records so you don't become a target for the kind of person who's looking to steal 20 million credit cards or 10 million credit cards. That's just a higher cost and risk that you don't need to uh, assume. So where you can look at some of these providers who can afford the security because they they handle outsourcing for many entities uh, and keep your stuff uh, as uh, separate from the internet as you can behind a good solid firewall, let's say Linksys, Barracuda, things that you can find at Staples uh, or Office Max. From small business and corporate to personal. And I'll tell you an interesting story that I got just last week. Uh, many of us use LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. I also speak at a lot of conferences, and as a result, I get a lot of invitations. Hey, we'd like you to come speak here, take a look at this conference. Last week, I got something, a message from one of my LinkedIn contacts say, hey, we're having an event uh, later this month. We'd love you to come out. Here's the URL. You click on the URL, and it says, oh, hey, you need to log into your email. Enter your username and password. Now, me knowing that I'm already logged into my email, know that that was a scam. There are a lot of attacks going on out there right now using similar techniques. You know, you're clicking on a link or an attachment, a window pops up, says, hey, log into your Gmail, but pay attention to that top bar that says, hey, uh, this isn't going to Gmail, it's going to Jimmy's going to steal your money.ru. So pay attention to those windows, know when you're logged in, so that challenges to username and password stand out and say, hey, is this really something that I should be doing? Because people will try to get into your email, they'll try to get into your social media, to abuse your contacts, your connection, to get your information. And one of the things that I emphasize to people, one of the consequences of the digital age, is the huge amount of data that is generated about us, available to access, data that's in our social media profiles, data that's in our email accounts, data that's in third-party providers. And we're going to address that problem right now. Protect your computer. Protect your data. Protect your privacy. An antivirus. Give me a systems display. You've been listening to Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek. Again, on the topic of protecting your personal privacy, we've got a great guest with us in Justin Harvey, the Director of Global Incident Response with Accenture. How are you doing today, Justin? Hey, I'm doing good, John. How are you doing? Living the dream every day. <laughs> So we've been talking uh, just about how people can protect their privacy, their small business, uh, and take charge of what information is available online about them and what other people can uh, see 
this one of the defining features that I've been telling people of the internet age is that we generate so much information about ourselves. What kind of products we buy, favorite movies, sports, animals, all things that you can access and figure out either through advertising marketing companies or Facebook or social media. So uh, let's just kind of take it generally. You know, what would you advise somebody to is their first few steps in protecting their online privacy? Well, the first step is knowing how uh, this personal information is stored and how it's used. Uh, there's there's a couple ways to look at this. The first is you're communicating your personal information to another uh, individual or to a company. Uh, if you don't take the proper steps to uh, secure that data in motion, as we like to say in the uh, in the tech world, then uh, it is vulnerable to being intercepted or viewed by other parties. So uh, I would always recommend to uh, uh, use SSL or HTTPS enabled websites. Also uh, ensure that if you're using public Wi-Fi, and what I mean by public Wi-Fi is not just the Wi-Fi that you can connect to and use in the airport, but your doctor's office, your work, uh, and hotels, very common for, uh, for there to be uh, people eavesdropping on those networks. So I'd recommend getting what we call a personal VPN or a personal virtual private network that allows you to encrypt everything that you do mm -hmm. through those networks uh, to, uh, to those parties. Uh, I know that uh, uh, there's a few VPN, personal VPN vendors out there. Uh, the one that I use is called a PIA, Private Internet Access. Mm -hmm. The... Uh, the second is uh, data uh, that is uh, on your hard drive, uh, and, and we call that uh, data at rest. Yep, and yep. so anytime that you're going to have some very sensitive files or uh, sensitive information on your laptop, always remember that uh, uh, people may be able to, uh, to get into that either through physical access to your laptop or through uh, spear phishing and, and getting onto your computer. So, so it's always advisable to keep your very important, very sensitive information on your computer encrypted. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. Certainly on the topic of encryption, a lot of our debate in uh, law enforcement and intelligence circles about having backdoors and encryption is because it's difficult for intelligence agencies to get into it. Uh, Run-of-the-mill criminals certainly have a lot of difficulty. But on the subject of law enforcement, right, there's another bill uh, being reintroduced to this Congress on the Email Privacy Act. It's been introduced to previous two sessions. I know it passed the House, but lingered, uh, lingered in the Senate. What a lot of people don't realize, you know, is that email stored in Gmail and some of these private providers or documents for that matter, if they're old, haven't been touched for 180 days, they can be accessed without subpoena or court orders. Uh, what, what do you hear about the Email Privacy Act and what would you advise people uh, in that regard? I think that uh, the, the, the recommended behavior, the recommended actions or operations that uh, consumers and small businesses can take is the same whether or not the Email Privacy Act is going to go through in Congress. And that would be uh, keep your email box clean or at least keep your email box clean uh, and only keep a month or two worth of email uh, if even if uh, uh, even if the Email Privacy Act were to not go into effect, it's still very advisable. The mm -hmm. reason for this is, is as we've seen with uh, John Podesta's 
compromise where they leak the information out of the DNC is that the more email that you have online is just more email that can be leaked. Uh, so I would definitely recommend keeping only a month or two of email, if that, and uh, bringing down your email uh, onto your personal system and then, of course, encrypting that. There's various ways to encrypt it. Mm -hmm. um, just a few of the, the vendors out there. Symantec has a solution uh, to, uh, and, and as well as Sophos, where you can have antivirus and uh, the ability to right-click files and encrypt them. Uh, you can also put them on USB drives that also ensure those are encrypted uh, and I know that uh, various Mac and Windows mm -hmm. solutions enable you to put those on those uh, encrypted hard drives. Well, and I think certainly for more modern operating systems, Mac and Windows both have some things built in by default to encrypt the hard drive if the power is off. So I, it's just kind of a key point, right? We hear a lot about laptops getting stolen from coffee shops and health records or whatever getting leaked. Uh, one important thing to do, even if you have uh, file or disk encryption on your machine, is to make sure that when it's outside your physical possession, you know, in your bag on an airplane, uh, to and from work, make sure it's powered off because the encryption keys are actually in memory. So uh, uh, even if you sleep or hibernate the machines, those can be recovered and get access to the machine. So making sure uh, that you power off. Uh, any other advice in terms of what else do you tell? We talked about VPNs, uh, private Internet access, uh, making sure that you're not storing a lot of data uh, in email and storing it local in encryption. Uh, anything else people could be th uh, should be thinking about? Yeah, I guess the final part of this is just be, just be extra mindful. Be vigilant about how much information that you give out. Perhaps on one site you're giving your, your address, your phone number, your email address, and maybe on another site, you're just doing your email address and your birth date uh, for something else. Uh, that, that information very commonly can be cross-correlated, or an attacker can uh, compromise one website, go to the next one, and then join your data together to get a full mm -hmm. picture. Mm -hmm. So I would be very careful about how much information you store in social media, birthdays, social security numbers, uh, relationships, because that can all be used against you. And I would also say that uh, if you really uh, have to give some information, as long as it's not for credit, a, a credit application or banking, make up a persona, make up a, a, a name, make up an email address, and even make up a birthday. Change, uh, uh, I like to use mm -hmm. uh, uh, for my birthday, January 1st, 1970, because many computers use that as the, quote, beginning of time. So I'll never forget that mm -hmm. uh, in my mind. So uh, be very vigilant and very careful about how much information that you share, not only in social media, but other websites. No, I think that's really good advice. And, you know, an interesting thing to do, like in the subject of personas that I know I've done, uh, I go to a lot of conferences, end up getting on a, on a lists for various things that I have to give out information. I'll do slight misspellings of my name that are unique to a various event or a vendor or whatever, just to see marketing email come in or marketing uh junk mail, you know, from the U.S. Postal Service come in with that misspelling and I can start seeing the organizations and where they're buying my data. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, many of them said, hey, we will not sell your data. And I see a very unique misspelling of my name. And I know that they, in fact, did. So uh, and one one way to actually do that, not just for misspellings, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, Gmail has the capability where if you have your username, and you add a plus and another string at the end, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, that's still valid. So if your name is your email address is John at gmail.com and you go to a conference like RSA, you can put John plus RSA at gmail.com. It'll still get to you, still a valid email address, but it'll actually go to your John at gmail.com uh, email box and you can see, ah, yes, this is spam from RSA and they said that they weren't going to do that. Great tips there. Been on the phone here with Justin Harvey, uh, Director of Global Incident Response with Accenture. Thank you for joining us today, Justin. Thanks for having me. A pleasure as always, John. Stay tuned for more from Bambanek on cybersecurity. Got a question on cybersecurity? Ask Bambanek. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Bambanek. Had a great segment talking about protecting your personal privacy with Justin Harvey of Accenture. Again, important feedback that you really need to take steps to protect your own privacy. There isn't anybody out there who's going to do it for you. Be careful about what you share online. Be careful with the services you register for. And be mindful of what information is generated about you. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Many people have a lot of questions about cybersecurity. If you have questions you would like to get answered, look us up online at cybersecuritytodayradio.com or on Facebook under Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Ask you questions, we'll answer online, uh, and some questions we'll answer here on the air on the show. A lot of questions we're getting of how to protect your children online and what tools and things you can do to make sure your kids are safe. One thing that I do want to point out is that criminals are a very crafty bunch. A lot of these online games that are for kids, many attackers create them uh, and embed malware or whatever, knowing that people will share their laptop or their device with their kid. Their kids want to play Mario Run, but you've got an Android phone. They go to the Play Store, they install it. Now malware is on your phone. The kids aren't the target you are, but many of us share our devices with our children. So the first thing is, if you can, if you can afford to, make sure your kids have their own devices that doesn't have any sensitive information on it because there's a lot of attacks uh, directed at them, and there's no good way to expect them to be sophisticated enough to solve it. There's several other tools to take a look for. The first for your home wireless network, Disney uh, makes a great tool called Circle. You can buy it at Best Buy, a lot of stores that add a lot of features in, not just web filtering. Uh, You can set different time limits and bedtime so your kids can't sneak the iPad up and stay watching movies until 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, You can set various levels of web filtering based on age, so it gives you a lot of control that you can set to filter for inappropriate content. One of the other questions that we have is, what is the best antivirus that you recommend? Professionally, there's two different antivirus companies uh, that I work with, Kaspersky and Bitdefender. Kaspersky would probably be a little bit easier to find. Uh, I believe they sell at Best Buy and most major retailers. Bitdefender, you'd probably have to buy online. Both rank very high when comparing antivirus to each other. Kaspersky also has adult filtering 
uh, software to make sure that uh, if you have kids, you can put that on their laptop to make sure there's nothing inappropriate going on there to make sure you can provide that additional level of protection for children. The last thing I would point out when it comes to protecting children is if they have Facebook, these social media accounts, you really do need to make sure that you have the password for it. Uh, for at least the younger kids, know who they're talking to, see the messages going back and forth, uh, and be involved in their lives. Make sure you have an open uh, relationship with your children. They feel comfortable talking to you, know what's going on, know who they're talking to. A lot of people pretend to be others online uh, for a variety of reasons. And not just victimizing children, victimizing adults, victimizing co-workers, ex-girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses, whatever. We really haven't, as a security industry, solved the problem of proving the person who says they're ex are really ex. So making sure that you uh, have some visibility into your children's online lives, but certainly talk to them uh, in an age-appropriate way. Make sure they know that not everybody is who they say they are on the internet. Have them have some level of critical thinking and making sure that they don't share any content. Tell them, you know, if you put something in email or in a text message, you have no idea where it goes from there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, difficulty with cyberbullying and the like involving shared pictures. Uh, certainly talk to your children. Let them know that you know, one of the defining characteristics of uh, the Internet age is anytime you send a message, it can be forwarded on a hundred times, and it often is. So making sure not to create uh, things that they may regret later. But the big thing is talk to your children, uh, have a relationship where they feel like you can be approached. Hopefully your school or your church has some kind of cybersecurity awareness program uh, that's age appropriate for kids. But take a look at some of those other products I talked about, Kaspersky and Bitdefender for antivirus, Circle by Disney for your home wireless network. And that should give you some pretty good protection uh, for your children and your family and even for your own computers with the antivirus products that I mentioned. You've tuned into Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. Again, if you've got questions that you want answered on cybersecurity, check us out on Facebook, Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. We have a website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com. Send in your questions. We'll try to answer them or read them on air to get them answered for you so that you can take ownership of your own cybersecurity. You can learn the tools to protect yourself. This is John Bambanek. Thank you for tuning in. This is Cybersecurity Today.